All right, well, uh, we are back together, uh, back to our series that we started a couple weeks ago, and we are still looking at Church 101, the basics of the church. And uh, I should have done this earlier, but one thing that you're going to see, you're going to see behind the scenes of church right now. Nobody's seen this before, so you guys have a great advantage of what you're about to see. Ready? Everybody, here we go. Yep. Yeah. This is the workmanship of Dennis Morrow. I mean, he didn't want any praise for it, so don't give him praise. It's all God, God-given talent. But there we go. Now it's a little higher for me. That's better. All right. <clears throat> Yeah, the, well, yes, if we haven't seen the cross, there's the cross, there we go, see, but uh, yes, so uh, we will be showing that off more, okay, but that's, all right, anyway, pretend none of that ever happened, unless you want to remember the cool thing that you saw. All right, so back to where we've been, we've been at Church 101, talking about the basics of the church, what it means to be the church of God, and how that plays out in the way that we, re- we act in our lives and we've been going back to those basics, and I hope for all of us we have had some moments where maybe we've just, maybe we've heard something new, but maybe it's not even about what we hear that's new, but something that we've heard before that we can just kind of hone in on, and that's been the hope as we go through this series. So, so far, uh, through the last two sermons, we've seen the overarching theme, and the, I'm putting both of the main points together here, is that the church is the get-together of Jesus' family that is in the business of magnifying God, loving one another, and witnessing to the world around us. Again, the church is the get-together of Jesus' family that is in the business of magnifying God, loving one another, and witnessing to the world around us. And Acts 2, verses 41 through 47 have kind of been the central verses as we've kind of looked at what did the very first church of Jesus, what did that very first church, as they assembled together, what did it look like? And let me just remind you again of that passage and let's read it together. And we are then trying to see what it will look like then and seeing how what then applies to us today. But Acts 2, 41 through 47, uh, and this... Uh, Got to find it here. Here we go. So those who received his word were baptized, and there was added to that day day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, in this passage, we see the core elements. It's the get-together of Jesus' family. It's people coming together to worship Jesus. That is in the business of magnifying God, that idea of worship, loving one another, and witnessing to the world around us. And we looked at those things last week, that those are the three primary roles that the church is to play, to magnify God to the world around us, and then to love one another as a family, and then to witness to the world around us. And honestly, those three things aren't necessarily exclusive of one another. As we love one another, it's a way to show the world who Jesus is. And as the world knows who Jesus is, he is magnified. It all kind of goes together. But today, we're going to start, we're going to focus on one of those things. We're going to focus on this magnifying God part. We're going to focus today on worship. Uh, And specifically, we're going to talk about corporate worship. And I'll explain that in just a moment. 
But the main point that I want us to see today as we talk about corporate worship is that the church magnifies God as we worship him together. As we worship him together. I want to really point to hone in and look right straight into the idea of the fact that when we worship, it's something that we should and can and will be doing together. It's not just an individual exercise, but it's something as the church, we come together to worship God. And we're going to look at that, what that might look like for the church. So as I thought about this, and I kind of gave a little bit of this last week, as I talked about magnifying God, kind of like bringing your dad to, uh, you know, parent, uh, the parent day at school, say, this is what my dad does, this is my dad, this is my parent. Uh, but also now we're in the midst of the Olympics, and you know, a lot of times almost every single Olympic athlete or any athlete or anybody who's done something important in their lives, they're always asked the question, like, who, who, who was it that, that helped you get where you're at? Who was it that is your hero? Who is it that has inspired you to be where you were at? And not all the time, but so many times we hear the answer, well, it was my mom, or it was my dad, it was my parents, it was my family. It was my grandparent, whatever it is. And they have that opportunity to say, I want to give thanks to my parents. I want to show that my parents meant something to me and still do. And that's kind of what we're doing as the church. We are telling the world around us and we're telling one another that God is our father and that we love him dearly and he is the greatest thing ever, the greatest person ever. He is the one to be worshipped. And so... As we come together to do that, first of all, I want to get one thing out of the way, because a lot of times we'll talk about worship, and it's, it's talked about as if, well, your life is worship. And let me just say this, it's absolutely true. Each and every one of our lives uh, should be lived in a way to worship God. Uh, actually, in Romans chapter 12, and many of you will know this passage, but in Romans chapter 12... Uh, and some of your translations may even use the word worship, some might not, but it's the, it's the idea here. It says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable and perfect. All right, so here in Romans 12, and I've heard this preached many times, and maybe you have as well, it talks about the whole idea that our whole lives are to be a living sacrifice, that we are to live a life of worship, that every part of our life, from what we live at home, to what we live at church, to what we live at our workplace, to when we're walking down the street, that all of our lives should be pointed towards being a living sacrifice, putting ourselves behind God and magnifying him, and that our whole life should be a life of worship. This is absolutely true. It should be. Our whole lives, our whole individual lives should be lives of worship. However, today we're not going to talk about the big picture of worship, which is ascribing worth to someone, which is something we should all be doing in all of our lives. But today we're going to specifically target and focus on corporate worship. When we come together, what does worship look like? In Hebrews chapter 12, we see a picture of this. And uh, I want to go there and read this verse in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
we see here in the book of Hebrews that there is an element then that if we are grateful and that we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that we need to offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let us offer to God acceptable reverence. This whole passage again is talking to the church, that we come together to offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And that's what we're talking about today. We are taking our everyday worshipful lives and when we come together as a church it's an opportunity then to come together and to to do that in a way that is obvious and public it is a way that we express our worship that's the way i want to put it our we express what we're living as we come together to express in reverence and awe, and we come together in gratefulness over the fact that we are part of the family of God, we are part of the kingdom of God, and as a local church, we are, a, we are here to worship as the kingdom of God, and that is what we do together. It's not an either-or, worship with your life or worship at church. If you're worshiping with your life, then it'll come out as an expression in public when we come together as a body. And so that is what we're going to focus on today. Not just this idea of worship with our whole lives, although that is a great thing for us to talk about. That could be its own sermon altogether. But but today, specifically, how then as we live individual lives of worship, when we come together and we then are able to, to show that, to express that to one another and to the world around us. So... We're going to look at three core elements of corporate worship. Three core elements that exist when a church comes together to worship God, to show him worthy. All right, so the first one, and this is going to actually be the most important one because what we're going to see is that all worship is centered on God's word, how he has revealed himself to us. And so we're going to start with this first point, that one way that the church worships God is that the church worships God through our devotion to his word. And notice, by the way, the title today, Family Devotions, I borrowed that from uh, Acts chapter 2, what we read, and it said that the first church was devoted to several things, that they were devoted and many times we talk about family devotions and we think about our personal families, our little families, and we take time. Uh, to sit together, to read God's word. Maybe we pray together. Maybe we sing together. We talk about what is going on in life and how we can apply God's word to it. That might be what you do in your personal family devotions, your small family devotions. But in a real sense, as we come together as a church, we are having big family devotions, right? So we are being devoted to God. We're being devoted to his word first is what we're going to talk about. The church worships God through our devotion to his word So there's a few things that this means. That means that as the church is devoted to his word, to God's word, we are devoted to it through reading it. Through reading it. So let's look at what we see here in the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy talks about what it looks like uh, in the church as Paul is telling Timothy how a church service should be run, how the church should come together and how worship should be seen. In, in 1 Timothy 4.13, this is what we read. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Alright, so this starts basic. When we come together as a church... We read the Bible to each other and with each other. Like, 
the Bible isn't just around so that you can have a personal devotional book. The Bible is here so that we can read it together. So we read it aloud. Uh, and, and that's why when we preach sermons and, and things like that, or we teach Sunday school, it's not as if we just come up with a bunch of our own ideas, but no, we read the Bible. Because we need to hear God's word for it to mean anything and for it to change us. And we can worship God simply by listening to his word. And that just makes sense. Think about it. If you really care about someone, if you really value someone, you're going to listen to what they say. And so if we're going to be worshiping God, both in our personal lives and in our corporate lives, then we need to be listening to what God says. If he's truly worthy of worship, then we will listen to him. And so we start by saying we need to be reading the Bible together. This happens in sermons. This happens in teaching. This should happen in our small groups. This should happen just if, as you get together with people. It wouldn't be a bad idea just to read Scripture together so that we hear the Word of God. So we worship through our devotion to His Word by reading it. Now, the next part kind of flows from this, and we're going to go to the next book that Paul wrote to Timothy, Second Timothy. Uh, and we are going to look at 2 Timothy 3.14 is where we're going to start here. 2 Timothy 3.14. <clears throat> and follow along here. What else should be happening in the church is that we should be devoted to his word through preaching it. It should be preached. In our church services when we're together, God's word should be preached. 2 Timothy 3.14-4.5. through 4, 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths." And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So again, Paul is writing to Timothy about what it looks like to, what is so important in the church of God, and he says you need to be preaching the word, preaching truth, not preaching myth. Now, when I say preaching, I want us to understand that I'm, I'm kind of putting preaching and teaching in the same boat here. I'm not separating them out because here as it talks about preaching, it says uh, in verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So here as the word is preached, it's also taught, it all goes together, we're talking about preaching and teaching. It's about the proclamation of the scriptures. That's the point. It's proclaiming God's word and it's proclaiming what he says. That is what should be done in a church. Now, this is part of what everyone understands that churches are meant to do, and that's why there are churches that have pastors and even in other uh, denominations, priests and all those things who preach the word. This one shouldn't shock anybody that we should be preaching the word. But I do want us to make sure that the emphasis here is that we are preaching the word. 
Here in 2 Timothy, it says the scriptures are profitable for every good work. They're profitable for every good work. And so therefore, it needs to be God's word that we preach, not our own. And this is something that every time anybody who comes up to this pulpit or any pulpit in a Bible-believing church, it's gotta, we've always got to be careful. We've always got to be bathing what we're about to say in prayer and bathing it in God's word because it's about what he says, not about what we say. And what was happening in the time of the, this writing was that people were coming and they were preaching, sure, but they weren't preaching right, good, true messages from God's word. They were just telling the people what they wanted to hear. We see that in today's world where people will say if you just can have enough faith and believe in Jesus, then your whole life will be perfect and wonderful and you'll have wealth and riches and prosperity beyond your wildest dreams. That if you just believe in God, you can be healed of anything and never have any problems in life. That's what people want to hear, but the Bible is a picture of our complete and utter dependence upon God and nothing else. We can't do anything ourselves to make our lives better. That's not the point. The Bible is not a how-to book to make your life better. Although your life will be better if you trust Jesus. But this is not a life for dummies book. This is a book that is God's word that we listen to that is ultimate truth. So preaching is not about telling people what they want to hear. It's about truth. We want to make sure that that is always true here at our church. It should be true of any church. All right, so then, uh, not only do we read it and preach it, we also listen to it. Listen to it. All right, so if somebody's reading it and somebody's preaching it, that means somebody needs to be listening to it. And as a church, uh, many of you will know this passage in the book of James. Uh, and we looked at this even as we went through the book of James here not too long ago, last summer, I believe it was. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Let's listen to what is said. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, uh, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is making a very strong point here. He's saying it's not enough just to hear God's word. We need to actually listen. And yes, hearing and listening are two different things. We can hear many things, but unless we truly take it in, remember it, and act on it, that's true listening. And so we need to be a people, a church, who listen to the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we've already kind of looked at a few of these, but I want to remind us again of how important it is for us to know God's word and hear God's word and listen to God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is what we need, but notice it's, it's to make changes. It's to actually do something. It's to transform us, not just to inform us, not just for us to know things or to hear things, but to listen and to apply it. That is how we are good listeners. And so as we talk about worship, 
We worship God when we read his word. We worship God when we preach his word. But we worship God and all of us together and you sitting there right now are worshiping God even as you listen to his word, as you listen to preaching, and then as you digest that and you apply it to your lives. We don't just hear it, we listen in order to apply. And so, real quickly, as we look through 2 Timothy 3.16, I want to look at the four things he says the scriptures are good for. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And these are four things, every time you're listening to a sermon, that I would hope that you would listen to, listen for, so that you can truly be listening. So as the word is read and preached, we need to be listening for doctrine. In other words, what can I learn about God from this passage? What can I learn about God from this passage? And if you're not learning anything about God, then we're missing out on what he wants his word to be there for. And that alone is an application, by the way. Sometimes we can walk away from a sermon and saying, I'm not exactly sure I know what to do. But we can walk away and say, but I know if I can trust and know God better, then I can trust him that much more, which in itself is an application. The next word used here in this passage is reproof. What sins do I need to repent of? As you read the Bible, as you hear the word preached, what is it in your life that is holding you back? What is it that you are continually using as an excuse, something that you are living in a sin that you need to repent of? The Bible should reprove that and say you need to stop that. The next word is correction. When we listen to God's word, if we're going to be worshipful about it, we need to listen to say, what changes do I need to make in my life? Maybe it's not a specific sin that you can point out, but maybe you just understand as you're kind of, the Bible kind of corrects maybe a way that you've been living that has not quite been aligned up with him. So as you look for correction, you look for what changes you can make in your life. And finally, instructions in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness, how does this, how does what I'm listening to, how does God's word right now, how does this teach me to serve God and others better? How does it teach me to serve God and others, to love God and love others better? That is instruction in righteousness. And then it goes on and says that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything we need to know about how to live and how to, that matters in life is in God's word. And so therefore we listen for these things. So in the end, what I want to say is a good church, a church, a healthy church, one who is worshiping God well is not just a church who preaches the Bible. Many times we've talked about this being a Bible church and we've always preached the Bible and that is true. And not all churches do preach the Bible. But if we're truly to be about the Bible, a Bible church, then it's not just about preaching the Bible, but it's about listening to the Bible. It's not just about what is said, but it's about what is received and what is applied. And so we worship God through his word, through being devoted to the reading of it, the preaching of it, and listening to it. As we sit here right now, you are worshiping God. Because worship isn't just about when we sing. And it's not just about when we praise God, but it's also about when we learn who he is, when we honor who he is, when we apply what he said because again if we truly honor someone if we truly have give them worth then not only will we listen not only will we hear what they say but we will listen and do what they say as well and that's what the point of God's word is and so when we come together as a church we do worship even through this time of reading preaching and listening to God's word so my challenge would be every time that you're listening every time that we're preaching when we're reading God's word Really think about how you are worshiping God at that moment. We'll say a little bit more about that towards the end.
Well, we've got to move on. All right, so next point. The church not only worships God through our devotion to his word, but the church worships God through our devotion to singing. So we do sing. We sing a lot in church, and to some people that would seem very strange. But the Bible is very clear that when we love and cherish God, it will result in singing to him. The first reason we sing as a church is to praise God for who he is. To praise God for who he is. Many times our praise songs and the hymns we sing will be praising God and saying, God, you are great, you are glorious, whatever it might be. And we praise God for who he is. Psalm 96, 1 through 4. Psalm 96, 1 through 4 talks about this importance. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. So here in the book of Psalms, we see that the importance of is laid upon us to sing God's praise, to sing of his goodness. And we do that when we come together. And that is a way that we worship as a church. James 5.13 also would come into play here. James 5.13, and we'll come back to this again, this passage. But in James 5.13, as James writes to the early church, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Again, if we are seeing what God is doing in our lives, then we praise him for his goodness. And so we come together, and we do that together. We sing praise together with one another. That Not only do we praise God for who he is, but we thank God for what he has done. Not only do we praise him for what he is and who he is, but we, we praise him and we thank him for what he has done. So there's this idea of thankfulness when we come to sing in worship. And we're going to look at two different passages right now that talk about this idea of singing in church and what the purpose is. And we're going to look at these verses twice today. But first of all, I want us to focus on this idea that when we sing to God, we are thanking him. We are being thankful. All right, so first of all, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we come together as a church, the, 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 the instruction that is given to the Colossian church is that we come together in peace And we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That gets us back to what we talked about in point one. But then as that happens, the natural result, one piece of worship then becomes this idea of teaching, admonishing one another. That's what we've all talked about. But that also happens as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another with thankfulness in our hearts. It's about being thankful. Turning over to the book of Ephesians, something very similar is said in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. It says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, don't miss this idea of always giving thanks. As we pray, as we sing, I'm sorry, as we sing, we give him thanks. We praise him for who he is and we thank him for what he has done. And that is the truth of worship when we come together to sing. We are praising God. We are thanking God. But there's one other element of worship that many times, or singing, that many times we miss. And we've preached on this before, so this won't be new for everyone. But in these two passages, the other thing that you need to notice is that when we sing, we do it to point each other to God and what he has done. This idea of togetherness, even right here in Ephesians where we just looked at, what does it say? It says that we need to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this passage ends with saying, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians isn't much different. It also shows this idea of coming together to sing to each other, to build each other up. See, when we come together as a church to sing, it's not just about vertical praise and thanksgiving. It is, that is a big part of it. But it is also about horizontal teaching, encouragement, peace, unity. It's about singing to one another as much as it is to sing for him. We, we, sing, we sing to know who God is. We sing to thank him for who he is. But then we also remind one another that he is who he is. And that he's done what he has done. And so part of singing, I want to just emphasize this. It's not just for you and God. So many times when we think, well, the singing part is just me and God. Well, you can do that in your room, in the shower, wherever you are. You can sing to God, and that's great. Do it. But you're missing a piece of what God wants here when he says, sing, address one another in songs. So when we come together to sing, it is important, I would ask you all, no matter how bad of a voice you might have, sing loud and proud. Because it's not just about you, and it's not just about what you think about God. It's about how we sing together. It's about how we praise God together. It's about how we thank God together. So first of all, if you, have a, if you think that for whatever reason you don't like to sing, or you don't sound good when you sing, do it anyway, because it's a blessing to other people. And if you're the person that starts judging people because they have a bad voice, stop it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if everything is perfect and wonderful and the harmonies are right on. That's not the point. The point is we are worshiping Jesus together through song. And we're teaching each other. And so that should lead us into more and more worship as we... Sometimes I need to hear other people singing, right? Sometimes I'm I'm just not in the place where I'm really... I'm not in the greatest place to be able to be praising God the way I know I should be. But then I'll hear somebody else who is, and it, it's, it reminds me of who God is and what he's done on behalf of the church. And so I just want to encourage everyone that as we have corporate worship, as we sing through corporate worship, that piece of it, that we would look at it not just as it's between me and God, but it's between, it's all of us. It's all of us together praising and thanking God through song. Moving on. Third way, not only do we worship God through being devoted to his word and being devoted to, to singing, we are also, de- we worship God through our devotion to prayer. So I, I read this quote this week, and I don't remember which book it was in, but it said, we praise God because he is great and glorious, but we pray because we're weak and in need. Listen to that again. We praise God because he is great and glorious, but we pray because we are weak and in need. And that's where we go next as we talk about prayer. So we worship God through prayer because we are saying to God, I am nothing, you are everything, I need you. 
And when we pray to God, that is a way of worshiping Him because it's reminding ourselves and it's reminding everyone who might hear us be praying that we are in desperate need of God. That is what prayer is all about. So indeed, when we pray, we need to make sure that we are praying with humility as a church. Uh, Book of Luke. Book of Luke talks about this as a little bit of an extended talk from Jesus. But he says here when he talks about prayer and he talks about humility. Luke 18, 1 through 14. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So that's the reason Jesus is telling this to his disciples. And he said, in a certain day there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but those who humble, or the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus reminds his followers as he because we need him to not give up and think we can handle things on our own. And then he goes on and talks about this Pharisee versus the tax collector. And what's the point here? The Pharisee thought that he could pray with arrogance and he could pray because he was worthy of it and he he was going to give God his prayer. Like God should be so thankful that this Pharisee would pray to him. But yet the tax collector comes and just begs for forgiveness. Indeed, this applies to our when we receive the gospel, we need to just come to God and know that we need his forgiveness, we need his salvation. We know that we need to know Jesus and the fact that he lived his life, perfect life, that he died for us, that he rose again, and that is the gospel. And so we need to come to him and say, I need you, Jesus. But it also applies to our everyday lives. It applies to us here as a church that we make sure that we are praying in humility because we pray out of our weakness. We need him. That's all I want to say this. Prayer is not doing something for God. So many times we look at it that way. Like, God, okay, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you this prayer. I'll give you this time to pray. Prayer is not doing something for Him. It's simply our expression of our dependence upon Him and our desire for Him to show up and His work to be done. Again, it's not something we can use as an accolade for ourselves, but as we pray, we pray in humility because we desperately need Him. And as I need Him, you need Him, and we all need Him. And so we can pray in humility. We also need to be praying with purpose. Praying with purpose. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all then, I urge that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, 
for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a purpose that when we come together to pray, one of the main things that we look at as we talk about purpose is that other people will come to know Jesus. This goes back to our final point last, last week. That as we live our lives and worship Him and pray, we pray that God will make Himself known to other people. That people will be saved. But that's just one piece. If we go to the book of Matthew, when Jesus was teaching His disciples how to pray... We look at the model prayer that ends up showing us really what our purpose in prayer should be. Our purpose in prayer, yes, is to see people saved, but for what purpose? Matthew 6, 9-13. through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As Jesus teaches his disciples here how to pray, there's a few things I want to take notice of. First thing is that the point of this prayer is that God's name is hallowed. In other words, that he is glorified, that he is magnified. We talked about this last week. That God is seen to be who he says he is. Our purpose in prayer is not just to pray about our needs. It's not just to pray about healing. It's not just to pray about all the things that come up in our prayer lists. Although those are important to pray about. All of those things are all nestled under one umbrella. And that is that we pray that God's name would be hallowed. That God's name would be seen to be holy. Because it is. God is glorious and wonderful and holy. And we need to pray that the world around us will see that. That his kingdom will come. That yes, we'll have, he'll give us what we need. And yes, he'll forgive us. And yes, that we won't be led into temptation. All of those things. Yes, yes, yes. But we pray ultimately that God will be hallowed. Whatever he does will make him look good because he is good. So we pray with purpose. Now as we pray with purpose, we're going to see that we also need to be praying with and for others. We need to be praying with and for others. Others And before I read James 5.16, let me just go back to the model prayer as we just saw in Matthew chapter 6. Notice the pronouns that are used in this passage as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Anybody notice that the pronouns here are plural? Jesus did not say, when you pray, you say, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread, and forgive me my debts, as I have also forgiven my debtors. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Now, I'm not saying it would be wrong to pray those things for ourselves. But I think Jesus understands here, as he's teaching his people how to pray, that praying is to be done with and for others, not just between us and him. Now, you might say that earlier in this passage, it talks about going into your prayer closet. And you're saying, well, that doesn't really jive with this. 
What's the point of Jesus talking about the prayer closet? It is not that you can only have personal prayer. His point is, is that your prayer needs to be done for God, not, not to show others how good you are. It goes back to the Pharisee. The idea here is that when we pray, it is to be about what we're praying for God's glory, not for our own. And so if we need to hide ourselves in a closet, then, it, then that's something we should do. But the point here, as God is teaching us about prayer, is not that we can only be one-on-one and we can never pray with others, but it's about our motivation when we pray. Are we motivated to pray based on what it makes us look like or because we want God to look good and there is a complete difference there? We don't want to be showy in our prayers, but we do pray together. James 5.16 tells us this. James 5.16 is very clear. It says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. We're not even talking about that today, but that's a part of this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as, in it, as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Here James is talking about the importance of prayer, and again, what does he say? He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is not just about praying for yourself, it's not just praying for your needs, it's about praying for the church. It's about praying for one another and with one another. This is seen many times through the book of Acts, and I won't go through each of these passages, but in Acts 1.14, Acts 2.42, Acts 4.24-31, and Acts 12.5 show the early church coming together to pray together. Because the point is, is that yes, as a church worships God, we pray together. We acknowledge our weakness together, and we come before him, and we pray as one. This does not mean that we don't pray on our own, that I'm telling you that having personal prayer time isn't worth it. That's not the point. We should still have our personal prayer time, but don't just do that at the expense of never praying with other people. Because it's a way that we can worship God and it's a way we can encourage one another. So we need to be praying with and for others. Alright, so the three points we've seen today is we worship as a church. We are devoted to His Word. We are devoted to singing and we are devoted to prayer. So let's look at some implications real quick as we get ready to close. So the implications of what we've seen today is I want to say that we need to devote ourselves. Devote yourself to engage with God's word. Devote yourself to engage with God's word. And notice I use that word specifically. I don't say devote yourself to hearing God's word. I don't say devote yourself to preaching God's word. I say devote yourself to engage with God's word. Worship begins and ends with God's revelation of himself and his ways, which is seen in his word. And so all of our worship is centered on that, and so we need to be engaging with his word. We need to be reading it. We need to be hearing it. Well, ultimately, we need to be listening to it and applying it. And can I also just add here that this is not just for the parts of the Bible that you like. Wouldn't that be nice? Ignore the parts you don't like. Listen to the parts you do like. That's not the point. All of God's word, going back to 2 Timothy 3, says all of God's word is breathed out by God. It is all profitable. It is everything we need, and so therefore we need all of God's word, even the tough parts, even the parts that you don't really care for, even the parts that are really hard to understand. All of it is important that we hear it, we read it, we listen to it, and we seek to apply it. 
It's important that we do this no matter where we are and what we're talking about. So some practical tips that I want to give you that was actually from uh, the book last week that I read from How to Be a Good Church Member, I think is what it is, or How to Be a Healthy Church Member by Tabidi Anabwile. All right, so here are some of his ideas. How then do you come into church ready to worship through listening to sermons and lessons, listening to God's word? Well, first of all, prepare yourself to hear throughout the week. This includes praying. It includes maybe if you know the passage the pastor is going to be in, for instance, if we're talking about a uh, uh, preaching or even ABF, you know we're in Romans. You, you read it ahead of time. You digest it ahead of time. You start to prepare ahead of time. So you're not just coming in cold turkey. Read and study the passages ahead of time. I already said that. So you prepare yourself. You read and study passages ahead of time when possible. After the sermon or lesson, talk to, talk about the sermon or lesson with others in the church. Talk about it. What did you learn? What did you not understand? Maybe some, maybe you don't understand something that somebody else does and they can help you out. So we talk with one another and we engage with one another so that God's word continues to be talked about. When we leave here and we go out into the foyer or when we're just milling around in here before ABF starts or after ABF, we have the opportunity not just to talk about what's happening in life, although that's important, but also we can talk about what we're learning, what God is teaching us. We can talk about God's word. Next, we apply what you heard to your life. Really think about it and take time to figure out and look at what did I learn today that will allow me to live in a certain way differently this week. And as I said, this is not always meaning that every sermon comes with five application points, but what it means is is that God's word is there to change you. Not just for you to know it better, but for to change you. And so look to God's word for what can change. Another thing you can do is ask questions and engage with the pastor or teacher. And all of this scares me sometimes. We are always here to listen to questions and engage with people on, on about God's word. Maybe you disagree on something or maybe you're having trouble understanding something. Ask questions because we want to engage with you. And then finally, be humble through the whole process. Be humble in your knowledge. There are some of you in this congregation that probably know more about the Bible than I do. I would be, I would be sure of that. That does not mean that we need to use our knowledge of scripture as a weapon on any, anyone. To think that I know more than you or you know more than me and so we're gonna use that to trump each other is not what the church is about. So be humble as you approach God's word. Be humble and see what you can learn and also be willing to engage with people and not just get stuck in pride but to be humble. That's important as we think about God's word. So devote yourself to engage with God's word. These are just some practical ways you could do that. Next, devote yourself to singing with and to others. Again, this is not just a suggestion. This is an expectation of the Christian life. It is expected that when you come together that we would sing together. Sing to God and sing for each other. That's the whole point. Again, sing even if you can't hold a tune and don't judge others who can't sing. It's not about the quality of the music, but about the content and the heart of the worshiper. As we worship God together, we hopefully will, in one sense, be tone deaf. Not in every sense. We want to have to do excellence. Don't get me wrong. But we want to sing to and with one another. And one last thing, just to remember. Singing isn't about the entertainment value. You don't come to church to get a concert. That's not the point. It's not about a mystical experience that if you sing enough, you can feel really good about yourself and and you can start to be in this euphoria. That's not the point either. The point of music 
and singing is to worship God, to remember what he's done, to worship who he is, and to teach others through the process. It's about reminding ourselves and those around us that God is worthy of all our worship. That's what singing is all about. Not that we would make sure that we feel totally entertained. Not saying we don't do music with excellence again, but don't look at it as entertainment or an experience for you, but look at it for the opportunity to worship God and share with others. And finally, devote yourself to living a life of prayer with others. Again, don't let going into your closet keep you from praying with others. Jesus' point here again was about humility. So be humble enough to pray alone and pray with others. Because our prayer life is not meant only for us, but it's meant for others as well. As we pray with each other, we build each other up in God. We worship God and we build each other up. And how does this look then? How do we pray with and for one another? Well, there's official opportunities that you can take part in. Small groups. Whether that's in Saturday morning groups with the men or whether it's with a, a women's event or whether it's in a ABF or whether it's in uh, care groups, whatever might be going on, take those opportunities to pray with others. Prayer services that we have one, once in a while that are specifically meant for prayer, take advantage of that. Come and pray. Even at fellowship events, you might be hanging out with people, but it doesn't mean you can't pray with them. Sunday morning is an opportunity to pray. We pray as a church together. But also, if you see somebody hurting, or you just come together with people, pray. We can do it anywhere and anytime. Also, take informal opportunities to pray with others. Take informal opportunities. You see each other out in, you're taking a walk, you stop and you pray for one another. I don't know what that looks like, but don't just focus on the formal, but also the informal. Pray with others. And also know the people of this body, of this family, and their needs so that you can pray for them regularly and follow up with them. Know the people here well enough, the family well enough, that you will be praying for them even if you're not with them. We have a way of doing this, by the way. We do have prayer sheets that we put out every two weeks. You can find those on the Information Center. I would encourage you to take those and consider using that to just spur on your memory of who you should be praying for And also, if you've got requests on that list, that you would keep those updated and that you might even see Chris in the office if you want to put a new request in there because we want to be praying for one another. So again, these are just some practical implications that we engage with God's word every time that we're hearing it, that we sing when we come together and we do it in a way that'll build each other up as we worship God and we devote ourselves to living a life of prayer with others. This is the way that the church worships God together. We listen to his word, we engage with his word, we sing with one another, and we pray with one another. That is what worship looks like. So in conclusion this morning, a few questions to ask. First of all, do you need a relationship with the God who deserves all worship? As I've talked about worship, it's about ascribing uh, greatness, worthiness to God who saved us by sending Jesus, his son, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins if we will simply put our trust in him and turn from our sins. And that then he rose again to show his power over sin and death, that we can have eternal life with him. That is the truth of the gospel. And that's why he deserves all the worship, because he has done everything that we couldn't do. He has reached down and saved us and given us everything we could ever need and want. That is who God is, because he loves us so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3.16. And so we worship him 
And if you don't know him, you wouldn't worship him. If you don't know who he is, then why would you worship him? But today, if you want to know who he is, please take the opportunity today to start that relationship with Jesus. Talk to me, talk to someone who is here with you that knows Jesus, and we could share with you what it looks like to have that relationship. And then start worshiping with us. Second question, are you devoted to engaging with all of God's word? Are you devoted to engaging with all of God's word? Not just reading it at home, that's a part of it. But more specifically this morning as we've looked at, are you engaging with every time you hear God's word read or preached or taught? Are you engaging with it in a way that you are truly listening and it's truly making a difference in your life? And if not, I would just say, think about it. Be more intentional. And finally, do you actively sing and pray with and for others? Do you make it a habit to sing and pray for, to sing and pray with others, to sing and pray for others? And if you don't, start it now. Those are the questions we need to ask. With that, if our worship team would come up, sing one final song as we close our time together.